0: washed by the lamb My brother's a king The son of I am Sometimes I forget to whom I belong Then the sweet spirit cries My child, he's still on the throne And he's still on the throne So what could be wrong it is well with my soul that the stormy winds blow I'm reminded today Thank God I am saved Salvation's sweet song While the ages roll on He's still on the throne Old Satan has power And sometimes I'm weak At times I give up And he walks over me Then someone comes by With words loud and strong Arise my child It is high and I'm still on the throne He's still on the throne So what could be wrong? It is well with my soul soul That the stormy winds blow I'm reminded today Thank God I am saved Salvation sweet song While the ages roll on He's still on the throne And He's still on the throne So what could be wrong? It is well with my sin It is well with my soul Let the stormy winds blow I'm reminded today Thank God I am saved. Salvation, sweet song, while the ages roll on, He's still on the throne. Salvation, sweet song, while the ages roll on, He's still on the throne. He's still on the throne.
1: Good. I like that one. That's a good one. Amen. Well, let's take our Bible. Turn over to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. Joshua, chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. We'll read through verse 9 tonight. Joshua chapter 1. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, <clears throat> Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your feet foot shall tread upon, that have, have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, All the land of the Hittites, under the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life, as I was with Moses. So I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. This is one of those Passages in the Bible that we never really grow tired of reading or hearing sermons from. It's an exciting time in the history of Israel. Sadly, Moses has passed off the scene. However, God has provided a man, Joshua. A man that would ultimately lead the people of Israel into the promised land. A man that would step into the shoes of the mighty leader, Moses. And things wouldn't miss a beat. It's sad as we look around our country and into the churches of America and we see as men of God go off the scene or pass on to heaven and no one stands and fills the void, the gap. It's sad that we see a generation that has, in many cases, removed the ancient landmarks and have decided that there's a new and a better way in which to get the job done. And can I tell you, that is not true. In this case, Joshua is going to step right into the shoes of Moses. He's not going to try to introduce some kind of new music or a new Bible. He hasn't decided that it's time to introduce some modern means by which to reach the masses. No, he simply is going to continue in the same direction, following after the same Bible, same God, the same truths that his leader did. First we see God's command here in verses 1 through 2. Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' his minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. His command was convincing. He says, unto the land which I do give to them, there's no question about it, at least in the mind of God, that this land was theirs. We know that there was a time in the, the ancient past, just actually 40 years earlier, that the children of Israel had stood on the precipice of entering in the land, but yet chose to step back in caution. There is a time to be very cautious. There is a time to be concerned. But there is not a time to be cautious or concerned when God says, I will give it thee. It's time to act. His command was convincing and now Joshua says, we'll not make the same mistake, fellas. We'll not do what we did in the past. We will occupy the land as God commands. Because his command was convincing and his command was clear. Arise, go over this Jordan. Sometimes it's just a matter of getting off of our backsides and onto our feet and getting the work done. Too much sitting is not good for anyone, especially for the believer. If we are going to truly accomplish what God intended, if we're going to fulfill our God-given purpose for existing, then we must stand. His command was corporate as well. It's interesting here in the passage that he says, and all this people. And all this people. His command included everyone. It's interesting how many times as the preaching goes forth, people get the idea that, well, that applies to my neighbor. That applies to my teacher. That applies to the pastor and the staff. That applies to my wife or husband. But no, it applies to all people. His command was convincing. It was clear. It was corporate. We notice commitment as well, verses 3 through 5. his commitment was perpetual. He said, I was was with Moses, but I'm going to be with you too. And we look back on the churches and the ministries of the past, and if we're not careful, we begin to say, or should I say, lament those days. We somehow look upon them as though God blessed them, but why hasn't God blessed us? I guarantee you that God's commitment wasn't only to the pastors in the 1960s, the 70s, 80s, and 90s. May I say that God today wants to do something great in the church in 2020. His commitment was perpetual. I won't just be with Moses, I'm with thee also. Because it's personal as well. Notice he says in verse 5, I will be with thee, I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Not only is he with us as a group, so to speak, and is he with the past and he's with the present, but he's with you and I as individuals. I mean, it's not just God is blessing one or another. He's blessing all if we put ourselves in a place to be blessed. We see his command, verses 1 and 2, his commitment in verses 3 through 5, but notice counsel in verses 6 through 8. First, he says, be courageous in verse 6. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Be strong and of a good courage. Be courageous. Let's be honest. Probably the reason why we don't accomplish what God's called us to do or we know he wants us to do is for lack of courage. Fear grips our hearts. And may I say that is. and I don't want to get ahead in the message, but if we don't get to it, I want to make sure I get to it. It's sad so many times that we find ourselves willing to minister within the walls of the church, but not outside the church. And you want to know why? It's for lack of courage. It's fear that keeps us from opening our mouth and from sharing our testimony, from being a light in the world in which we live. It's a lack of courage. And yet he gives this counsel to Joshua, who will now direct and lead this massive nation into the promised land. Be strong and of a good courage, he says. He goes on to tell them to be consistent. In verse 7, Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Don't you turn from it to the right or to the left. You stay on target. You keep traveling the straight and narrow, Joshua. Don't you discard the Bible. Don't you disregard the Bible. You stay faithful to me. You keep going. You be consistent. We pose the question from time to time, or at least I do in the pulpit, where will you be in a year from now? Again, we can't say for sure whether we'd be in heaven Or not by then. We don't know what tomorrow holds. But if you are alive and on earth and capable and physically able, will you still be in your place in the house of God here? Be consistent. He then says to be compliant in verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. I think I'm skipping. No, there we go. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Notice, compliant, that thou mayest observe to do all, to do according to all that is written therein. When's the last time we found ourselves being completely, 100% compliant with the scripture? You say, well, why would you ask it that way? Why wouldn't you say, when's the last time we found ourselves not doing that? Because I think more than not, it's the other way around. I'm talking from experience a little bit. I find myself struggling at times to be compliant with Scripture. I find myself having to war with this old flesh too often. I keep asking myself, when's it get easier? When do I have to stop? When when can I put the when can I put my shield down? When can I put my sword down? When can I finally just kind of relax a little bit? When is the pressure going to finally come off? Well, the day I close my eyes in death, or the Jesus or Jesus Christ returns, that's what I'm finding out. Not just from the scriptures, but from experience, it just doesn't end. The battle keeps going. We got to be compliant. The moment we fail to comply with God, his demands, his scriptures, his precepts, we put ourselves in a very, very awkward place. He tells him, finally, be confident. Be courageous, be consistent, be compliant, but be confident. Where does that confidence come from? Verse 9. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. That's where the confidence is from. So we notice counsel, his commitment, his excuse me, his command, his commitment, his counsel, and finally the confirmation we see in verse nine. It just stands there so much. Have not I commanded thee? He kind of capsulizes he. Summarizes everything and says, Be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. You know, it's interesting because we have this wonderful passage in the scriptures and we see and recognize that Joshua is the man of God. Without doubt, God had handpicked him. And now here he is organizing the nation to enter into the promised land to fulfill the real purpose and plan of God for the children of Israel to finally enter into that promised land and succeed as God had intended for so many years. And yet, you know what they faced the moment they crossed the Jordan? Opposition, trouble. Do you know that they walked right into a battle I believe it's important in the Christian life to understand this. that We need to expect some trouble. We just need to expect it. I'm concerned that many times we somehow get the idea that once we've come to Christ and once we've committed our lives to Him, once we've finally presented ourselves unto the Lord Jesus Christ, He's obligated and responsible to make the way smooth. That's not the case at all, is it? I mean, the children of Israel had God on their side. He makes it very clear to them, listen, you're going to have to be courageous, consistent, compliant, and confident. Why? Because you're going to have some trouble. It's just life. And so tonight I want to just ask three simple questions that kind of remind us again and reinforce this idea that, well, we better expect some trouble. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you. We ask that you would just speak to our hearts. You'd work in our lives tonight. We ask for your leadership and your love. Father, be glorified in what is said and done tonight. May you encourage us from your word. Lord, we desperately need your encouragement. We need you to, once again, just move us and motivate us to be Stronger for you, to stand for you, to shout from the rooftops your glory, your magnificence. The salvation that's ours and that can be extended to all who come humbly requesting Jesus Christ. We need you now, we love you. In Christ's name, amen. A couple questions. God was really in it and we're talking about Israel even if God's really in it, or maybe you in your life, if God's really in it, why so much opposition? I mean, if a church planner's going to go out and he knows without a doubt that God has called him to, to be sent forth from a church and the church agrees with that calling and, and confirms that calling and sends that man of God out and the church is planted and all of a sudden it seems that circumstances and situations arise that are less than comfortable are we to assume that God is no longer in it no not at all but if God is in it why so much opposition can I say first of all the ground we seek is the enemies? Do you realize in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, the Bible says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Again, in whom the God of this world, the God of the political, economic, social, and even religious systems of this world, is not big G God, but little g God. And the moment that you and I go out into the world and we try to make an impact in this world, we are in his territory. We're not in God's anymore. We're in Satan's territory. You say, wait, I the the earth is the Lord and the full, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But I guarantee you that the world in which he speaks about in 1 John chapter 2 is not God's. It's little g God's. Why is he called the God of this world at this point? if it's truly God that's in control of it. Oh, I understand that God raises up men to stay in positions, and he can supersede the authority of Satan, but I'm telling you what, when you walk out the door with your King James Bible in your hand and under your arm, my friend, you've walked out onto enemy territory. I'll guarantee you that. And if you think somehow that the enemy is going to be very happy that you showed up or that you made your way to them, it is not going to happen. Satan is not pleased when we enter into his territory and we start trying to take ground from him. There's coming a day during the millennium when people will say, hey, let's follow one of them Jews back on to Jerusalem where we can have the blessing of God in our life. But can I tell you, nobody's probably going to say, let's follow that Christian right back to the church so we can meet God. You're going to have to open your mouth and talk to them first. Because right now, this ground out here, everything you see is under the control of Satan. Again, I'm not, I'm not implying that God can't do what he wants to do. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But friend, let me tell you something. If you think that it's supposed to be a bed of roses out there, you've misunderstood what the Bible teaches. He is the God of this world, and he is blinding the minds of them that believe not. Why? So that they cannot see the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Little g God. Because he's little G God, he is still subservient to big G God, but big G God has permitted him to be the God of this world. So the ground we seek is the enemies. Also, let me just say this. You'd fight pretty hard too if someone came to possess your home and family. Think about how you'd respond. You know, I think about those brave men and women who fought for our liberty against Britain. The colonies had sought independence, but British, but the Brits had another idea altogether, didn't they? So they invaded with superior forces and equipment, but can I tell you, to no avail. Those who would one day be called Americans endured unparalleled hardships. They faced overwhelming opposition. They stood against impossible odds, and yet they prevailed. The soil that they fought for was their own. They had made it their own at that point. They literally occupied and lived on that soil. And when Britain come to impose its will on them, they fought with their very lives to the very end. And can I tell you, Satan's no different, nor are his. He's the God of this world, and the world does not want us to take ground. They're going to fight pretty hard to keep us from doing so. We would be rather delusional to think that we could invade and ultimately occupy Satan's strongholds without resistance. The Bible tells us he is a roaring lion. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion. Walketh about seeking whom he may devour, it says in 1 Peter 5.8. Now, I don't know about you, but and I know some joker in here is going to go, well, I'd do that. But I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think you could pay me to poke and prod a lion. I'm not talking about with bars between us. And I'm not talking about a 30-foot pole and some kind of, you know, means by which to guard against being attacked. I'm talking about walk right up to that sucker and start going, uh, uh, uh." Not me, buddy. He'd be like, (laughs) I don't think so, not me. I mean, it's bad enough. I don't know how many of you have ever been attacked by a dog. I've been attacked a number of times by dogs in my life. Instead of the dog whisperer, I was a dog fighter. (laughs) It got pretty rough in those days when you used to deliver newspapers. They called me Little Bruce Lee. (laughs) Well, maybe not. But anyway, (laughs) man, I still remember one time. I'm not joking. I, I went up to this one area, and, 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 and this is no lie. And some of you, I know the young people are like, yeah, that's back there when, they, you know, they still had, you know, stone wheels. No, we didn't have stone wheels when I grew up, okay? I was growing up, and I still remember I was, a, I was doing the, the, uh, the, the uh, paper route, and, and, and I had to go up into this one area. And in this area at that point, th- these houses didn't have any heat or anything in them. They used potbelly stoves to heat their houses. Now I'm going to tell you something that was still that was unusual in Ellet at that time, and I grew up in Ellet. It's not far from here, actually. It, well, actually, it's right over the hill here. And I mean, I, that just was unusual. But I mean, I, I met some of the sweetest people, but I also met some unusual people. And I remember one time, I, I, I mean, I was walking, uh, I, was, I was walking on through, you know, and well, and this dog come running out, and I'm like. <laughs> Hi, puppy, hi, puppy. (laughs) Bit me right on my shin. I'm bleeding, right? And so the lady's like, what's going on out here? And I said, your dog just bit me. My dog doesn't bite. How many of you ever heard that one? I said, well, what do you call that? And there's two, like, fang-like looks in there, and there's blood dripping out of them. I don't know, but it wasn't my dog. So I thought, okay, gotcha. So I started bringing my BB gun with me. I saw that dog coming out. I was like, yo, (laughs) didn't take but a couple times, and he finally got it figured out. Hold on. But here's what happened. So here's what happened, right? He gets real sneaky on me. So I'm going up to collect one day the house. I got to where I wouldn't even go to the door with the paper. I just threw it in the middle of the yard. So I, I'm collecting my money, you know, you got to collect in those days. Things wasn't done on the Internet. And so, I, I, you know, no Apple Pay or something, you know. So here I am, I'm going up to collect my cash. And I'm walking by, and I'm walking by their car, and all of a sudden, wow, this thing comes flying out a car window. I mean, it's like, I'm like, whoa, and it bites down on my arm. I'm like, yo, whoa, I'm swinging it around. I mean, it come right after my juggler. I'm not joking, it was the craziest thing. This thing was a demonic dog. <laughs> now, I don't know, I mean, that was bad enough, and it wasn't big, it was probably only like that. <laughs> I can't even imagine going up to a lion and going, hey, big boy, what are you doing? I, I'm not doing that, okay? I'm, you say, well, I'll do it. Give me a million, I'll do it. You won't spend it, somebody else will. Listen, it's difficult in the battle we live in. I mean, it's not easy. People that we grew up up with, people that we have grown to love and care about, they'll leave wounded and even lost in battle from time to time. It's hard to watch people fall by the wayside, casualties of war. But God says to Joshua and to the people, he says, be strong and of a good courage. when we are aggressively invading and occupying Satan's territory, when we are tearing down his strongholds, why does it surprise us that we're going to find some trouble? Trouble is going to find us. Let me ask you this, number two. If we're not to expect trouble, then why the need to be strong and very courageous? When you think about verse 7, and, and, and you notice that the Lord's telling him to be this way. I mean, he's literally telling him to be strong and very courageous. At one point, he tells him to be courageous. Now he's saying, be very courageous. If we're not to expect some trouble, why would he tell him that? Again, if you honestly believe that the Christian life's to be a bed of roses, and honestly, I prefer that too. There's a part of me that would like that. The flesh would certainly like that. But let's be honest, it's totally unrealistic. The truth is, is that no one can escape trouble in this life. No one. Christian, non-Christian, doesn't matter. If you're a human being, you are going to experience some trouble in this life. Job chapter 5, verse 7. Yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. God, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know why you're letting this happen. Can I tell you that's not a bad question to ask at times, depending on how you ask it? But can I also remind you that you might as well just get used to it because that's what we call life. That's what God calls it. The world is born into trouble You and I are born into trouble. And guess what? We live our lives with trouble all around us. And so if we are destined to experience trouble in this life, why not face that trouble for a good cause? I mean, if either way I'm going to be in a mess, it might as well be for serving God and living for Jesus Christ, right? We're told that the will of God is that a believer suffer in well-doing, not evil-doing. Take your Bible look over at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 15. <clears throat> Suffering is not something that we relish. And yet to be frank with you, if you've ever read a uh, you've ever talked to any saint of God, read from or talked to a saint of God, they'll tell you that probably the greatest times in their life of growth were in the midst of turmoil, trouble, trials. It's when they saw God bigger than ever. First Peter chapter 2, verse 15, for so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men hmm 1 Peter 3:17 with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men he says notice 1 Peter 3:17 for it is better if the will of god be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing god intends that If we're going to suffer as believers, it ought to be for well-doing, not evil-doing. Now, there is no way of escaping trouble when we live in accordance with the Scriptures and separated from the world. You're just going to find it's going to happen. In 2 Timothy 3.12, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, let's not give God credit for this persecution. Let's not even blame the devil sometimes for our troubles. Let's make sure that we've done everything God's instructed us to do prior to either blaming God or blaming the devil. For instance, if you don't get out of bed on time and you're late for work every day and you lose your job, don't blame the devil. And don't even blame God. See, I'm suffering as a Christian. No, you're suffering because you're doing evil. Thank you, preacher. You're a blessing. Amen. But the fact is, is that you will live godly in this world. You will find opposition. There's no way around it. You can expect some trouble. You can't escape the attack when you are sticking your chin out for God. Because as a believer, your chin is stuck way out there. And let me tell you, somebody's going to take a swing. Just expect it. Now, let me just ask one more question. Why does God admonish them not to be afraid or discouraged if they would always feel safe and experience only happy days? Again, why why would he admonish them and and instruct them not to be afraid or discouraged if they would always feel safe and experience only happy days? Well, verse 9 says, Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Why would he do that? It's interesting to note Jesus Christ, isn't it? I I mean, there was nobody like Jesus. He's the God-man. Therefore, he lived, as we know, a perfect sinless life. Jesus never sought trouble, by the way. He didn't go out looking for trouble, but he seemed to always find it, or it always found him, I should say. You know what? What what really was the issue was his holy life, his godly testimony, his heavenly purpose. You know what was wrong with all of those things? They opposed Satan and his agenda at every turn, that's all. He literally stood in direct opposition to Satan and his unholy plan. And that contrast is expressed in John 10.10. Turn over there and look at John 10.10. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he makes sure they understand this contrast. <clears throat> In John chapter 10, verse 10, the Bible says, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I am come that, he might, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Do you, do you see the contrast? The thief cometh not before to steal and to kill and to destroy. The devil wants nothing good for you and I. The devil wants nothing good for those that are in the world. But on the other hand, Jesus Christ, he comes that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Then that's direct opposition. That's on one end of the spectrum versus the other. Why in the world is Jesus being confronted the way he is? Why is he being opposed with the vigor that he is? Because of his holy life. Because he's unlike anything they'd ever seen before. Because he was so unusual and so different and so unique. Because he stood for righteousness. When Satan stands for everything but righteousness. As a result, Satan sought to end his life and legacy before it ever began. From the very beginning, he sought to destroy Jesus. In Matthew 2.16, the Bible says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding raw and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem. Do you honestly think that that was simply the decision of a king? That was the decision of a king that was being ruled by the God of this world. And he slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. We live in a nation that destroys children too. And If things don't turn around in our election, we will have a president that supports, encourages, and endorses it. Let me tell you, the God of this world is still alive and well, and as we as believers, we better get it through our heads, and we better figure it out real quick. That we better expect some trouble. Let's not be so shocked by it. The fact is, is that you and I represent everything that Satan hates as well. Turn to John fifteen, verse eighteen. Would you please? John fifteen, verses eighteen and nineteen. Notice what Jesus said to his disciples prior to his parting. In John 15, 18, he says, If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. <laughs> if ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I've chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Now, you know, let's be honest. We have been blessed to live in a country where in God we trust is on the currency. And in the Pledge of Allegiance, there are things that tend to lend to faith in God. We are a people who pray when tragedy strikes as a whole, and that is quickly changing, I know. But as it grows darker and darker in our nation, as it grew darker and darker in so many other places in the world through history, it will be impossible for you and I who shine in the world to blend in. Impossible. In the past, everybody dressed alike. I'm talking about in the 40s, the 30s, the 50s. Before Marlene Dietrich, women wore dresses. They didn't wear pants. She introduced it through Hollywood. It's going to be tougher to blend in as we continue to go the wrong direction in our nation. It'll be like the days of Jesus more and more. Where the evil will grow and we who choose to remain separated from the evil will stick out like a sore thumb and we will invite persecution into our lives. We've been able to get away without it for a long time in America, but it looks like our day is coming like it is in China already. They're bulldozing their homes over. They're throwing and casting them into prison. They're executing preachers and parishioners that won't recant. This has been going on in our world for years. It's just that we have been in a somewhat of a cocoon in America protected by our liberties. But it is somewhat of a false sense of security because it is extremely fragile now. There's coming a day, and I believe we're getting there quicker than we would like, where it will be impossible if you truly stand as a believer to blend in. And if the world hates you, ye you know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own, but because you're not of the world. But I have chosen you out of the world, therefore, the world hateth you. You know what the difference is? The difference. That's the difference. When we are different than the world in which we live, persecution will come. We think, well, that isn't fair. I'm only trying to do my part. I just want to please the Lord. I I don't understand why, why am I targeted then? Well, he was targeted. And our day may come too. It's pretty subtle right now, isn't it? Somebody says, we don't like what you have to peddle or what you have to say. I don't appreciate you coming to my door. I don't like that you try to force your religion down my throat. Talk to somebody else at work. Don't talk to me about that. I think that's a private thing. I don't know why you bring it up. That's about as bad as it gets for us right now. But it may get a lot worse as things grow evil, more evil in our nation, darker and darker, and the light stands out more and more. John fifteen twenty five. but this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. That's scary, isn't it? We like to believe that the only reason why we'd be hated is because we do something bad. But Jesus was hated without a cause. And there may come a day we will too. Now, God closes this charge with a promise. And the promise is simple. The Lord thy God is with thee. You know, in Matthew chapter 28, would you turn there, please, and we're closing. I have an illustration or a closing story I want to share with you, and then we're done. But in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, he makes the same promise to you and I. Notice what he says here in 1920, he says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. In 1588, King Philip II of Spain sent an armada, a fleet of ships, if you will, to collect his army from the Netherlands. There's where the soldiers were fighting at the time, and he wanted to take them so that they could invade England. This was done in the name of religion because England had become Protestant and no longer accepted the pope as the head of the church. Spain was Catholic, you see, and the pope had encouraged Philip to try to make England become Catholic again. He also had a political reason to go to war with England. It was because Spain ruled in the Netherlands, and the people there were rebelling against Spanish control, and England had helped them. So the Spanish Armada, arrogantly called the Invincible Armada, sailed out of Lisbon down the Tagus, bound for the coast of England to crush the Protestant power. It appeared to be invincible. It seemed impossible to overcome. With its huge ships, its many soldiers and sailors, its weapons of destruction, it seemed to be an invincible armada, as they said. But when it was most bleak, God intervened. And he sent a wind sent a wind which scattered this invincible armada into the rocky coast of the British Isles. Only six Spanish ships out of 129 that sailed against England, were destroyed as a result of the naval combat, combat that ensued. But a minimum of 50 of the ships, probably as many as 64, some historians have said, were lost through accident or during the Atlantic storms that scattered the fleet en route to England as it lent badly battered back to northern Spain. More than 13,500 sailors and soldiers didn't come home. The vast majority were victims not of English cannon fire, but of lack of food and water, horrible disease, what many coined as incompetency. The Spanish Armada campaign of of 1588 it changed the course of European history. See, if the 27,000-man strong invasion force had successfully invaded the survival of Elizabeth I's government and Protestant England would have looked doubtful in those battle-hardened soldier, soldiers if they had landed as they had planned to land. They would likely have advanced to London within one week and overtaken the city, the Queen, and her ministers and even killed them all. England would have been reverted to a Catholic faith and there may have not been a British Empire to come. In England, the defeat of the Spanish Armada was greeted as a sign of divine approval of the Protestant faith. We're on the right team. We're in the right cause. God's on our side, they said. The storms that scattered and shattered the Armada were seen as intervention by God. Sure, some have dismissed it as a coincidental thing, as incompetence, but honestly, the odds were overwhelming. And God truly intervened and scattered the Armada, saving England. As a matter of fact, England held services of thanks they even produced commemorative coins to commemorate God's victory and their great victory as a result. They said God blew. God blew a wind. He brought a wind. It was coined the Protestant wind. I don't know about a Protestant wind. But I want you to think about this for a moment. The year is 1588. it wasn't for that wind the king james bible would never have been completed and the greatest missionary movement in history would likely have never materialized i believe god intervened i believe in spite of the overwhelming odds god sent a wind that sent them packing you know what, you and I need to expect some trouble. But we can never forget that God is with us. As I think about Matthew again, that simple passage there in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, I want you to note that he makes a statement teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you and lo, I am with you always. Just a thought. Here it is. No go, no lo. I want you to think about what we just said. He says, There, go ye, therefore. If there is no go, there is no low, I am with you always. Let's take our faith outside the walls of the church. We're going to experience some trouble either way. It might as well be in obedience to God's plan and purpose for our life. It might as well be knowing that God is with us. If I'm going to experience trouble, I want him with me. So let's go into the world with the light of the gospel. And lo, he will be with us always. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for...